I have a word for you from the Lord today. And this is the word of the Lord. After today, many of you are going to a high place and you will never come down again. You're going to a place where God said in Psalm 91:14, I will set him on high because he has known my name. And God is going to set you on high. The thing you've got to understand about being set on high, on high is a Hebrew idiom. It means out of reach. The scripture says that the Lord is on high. It means he's out of reach. It means that nothing can touch him. He is surrounded in unapproachable light. And it means that he is above every created being and every created thing. It means that nothing can access his presence because the Lord is on high. But it says, though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. And that means that he condescends or he comes down into the place where he can be accessed, where he can be reached, where he can be appropriated. And God says, I'm going to set you on high in a place far above and beyond the reach of the devil. I'm going to set you in a place where the devil has no more access to your life, where the things that used to touch you can touch you no more. When the Lord sets you on high, he sets you above your struggles, he sets you above your trials, he sets you above your tribulations and everything that the devil does to destroy you. You, you, you have those, those, that, that one cabinet with those special dishes that are out of your reach and you can't get to it unless you get a stepping stool and you have to climb up the stepping stool to get to it, God says, I'm going to set you so high that the devil cannot reach you. He says, the devil will come and jump, but he can't reach you. The devil will try to climb up through your finances, but he can't get to you. He'll try to climb up the backs of your family members, but he can't get to you. He'll try to climb up through your trials and tribulations, but he can't get to you. He'll try to climb up through the generations in the form of generational curses, but generational curses can't touch you when the Lord sets you on high. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, here's the thing. God is on high, but he condescends to dwell among men. The doctrine of divine condescension. God comes down to the place where he can be accessed by men, by people, by human beings, but never by devils. Jesus said, the prince of this world's coming, but he's got nothing in me. He said, let him come. He can't touch me. He's got nothing in me. God has never came down into the place where he could be influenced by the devil. But he always comes down into the place where he can be influenced by men. And this is the problem I see in the body of Christ. We do the opposite. Because for so long, for for years, I talk to believers say, haven't seen you at church in three months. Where have you been? Oh, I've been going through a struggle. So I thought, let me isolate myself from the people of God and stay home in the place where the devil can just beat me up day and night. We condescend to dwell among devils, but we isolate ourselves. We remove ourselves from the place where we can be influenced by the people of God. And God wants to do the opposite. He wants to set you in a place where you can't be touched by devils, but you can be touched by the people of God. Don't do the opposite. God wants to take you to a high place today. And what I want to propose to you today is that God will take you to a high place, and that high place is called the, the, the realm in which the mysteries of the kingdom, where you dwell in the place of the mysteries of the kingdom. He wants to take you into the place where the mysteries of the kingdom become a reality to you. Today I want to talk to you about the stewardship of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that you should consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, I'm a servant of Christ and I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. And then he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And 
Then finally, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul speaks of the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God wants to bring us into the place where we learn to steward the mysteries of the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 4, he talks about the stewardship of the mysteries. In Ephesians 3, he talks about the administration of the mysteries. And in, here in, in Colossians 1, again, he talks about the stewardship of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. What I have to declare to you today is that God has great mysteries to reveal to you, but he's looking for stewards. He's looking for individuals that will steward the mysteries of the kingdom. He's not just revealing himself to anyone. He's looking for stewards. And the question God has for you today is that if I were to drop great revelation into your lap, would you steward it or would you let it die by the wayside? Would I be casting my pearls before swine? Now Paul uses this term mystery a lot when he talks about the mysteries of God or the mysteries of the kingdom. Mystery. Now in our day and in our age and our culture and in our time, when you use the word mystery, it's something unsolved and unknown. You know, a murder mystery. You watch a story about a murder mystery, and at the end of the story, it's still a mystery. You've seen Unsolved Mysteries? You ever watch that show, Unsolved Mysteries? And at the end of the show, there's still Unsolved Mysteries? I can't stand cliffhangers. I'm not going to invest two hours of emotional energy into a movie and then walk away wondering what happened. That don't make no sense to me. You know what I do? When I go see a movie that's a cliffhanger, I solve it in my mind and heart. I just make a decision. This is what it is. I make an apostolic decree. You seen the movie Inception? Was he awake or asleep? He was awake. In the name of Jesus, he was awake. I am not going to allow, because I'm, I'm not going to be wondering years later, I wonder, was he asleep or awake? When Paul talks about the mysteries of the kingdom, he's not talking about something hidden. He's talking about something revealed. He says in all three of these places, these mysteries were hidden from ages and generations, but are now being made known to God's people. That is, they used to be a mystery, but now they're revealed. Now the mysteries are revealed. Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are your eyes which see what you see, and your ears which hear what you hear. For I say to you that many prophets and kings long to see what you see and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. He says, you're seeing and hearing things that have been hidden from ages and generations, but now I'm making it known to you. And he said to his disciples, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. You have been given the right to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And God is not hiding anything from you anymore. He's bringing you into the light. He's taking you out of confusion and bringing you into clarity. You should not be living a life of mystery. You should be living a life of revelation. The Old Testament age was the age of mystery. The New Testament age is the age of revelation. Even that passage where Paul quotes that great Old Testament passage, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and mind has not conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We quote that all the time. And I hear believers, whenever there's a mystery, something we don't know, we just go, well, eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard, 
minds have not conceived what God has prepared. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused about my calling. I'm confused about my destiny. I'm confused about God's purpose for my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but eye has not seen, ear has not heard. And so we just content ourselves to live in the mystery, but we don't go to the next verse. Paul said, God has revealed them to us by his spirit. The things that eyes have not seen, God has revealed them by His Spirit. The things that ears have not heard, God has revealed them by His Spirit. The things that minds have not conceived, God has revealed them. So that when you receive the Spirit of the living God, you rise up and say, Now my eyes have seen. Now my ears have heard. Now my mind is conceived. And that's what John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen which we have heard, which our hands have handled. He says, now our eyes have seen it. Now our ears have heard it. Now our hands have handled it. That mystery has been revealed, and God has made us the stewards of that mystery. And so God wants to reveal things, and we're entering into a season of prophetic fulfillment in which God is getting ready to drop great revelation on the body of Christ. He is looking for open ears. He's looking for open minds, and he's looking for open hearts. Just as he walked on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, and it says he opened up the scriptures to them. And starting with Moses, he led them all the way through the Old Testament and showed them everything that was spoken about him. And he opened up their understanding so that they could receive it. God is looking to walk with disciples on the road, and he wants to open our minds and open our hearts he wants to open our eyes and open our ears he wants to open our understanding he wants to release supernatural wisdom he wants to release revelation and understanding and insight but he's looking for stewards he says i'll only give mysteries to stewards why some of us are crying out for god to show us things and in his mercy he says no not right now why because he doesn't want to give us anything that he'll have to judge us for later because you are responsible to walk in the light that you're given When you're ready to receive it, God will give it to you. Just like any father will only give his son that which he is able to entrust to him, knowing that he'll steward it well. You ever given something to somebody that they did not steward? My wife and I one year took a young man and wanted to bless him for his birthday. He was only about 12 years old, and we took him out, and we bought him a brand-new bicycle, beautiful bicycle. You remember that, baby? Two weeks later, I was driving by that kid's house, and the bike was out in the street, practically cut in half. Wheel was missing, and the handlebars were turned over. I spent $300 on that, that dadgum bicycle. And I thought, that's the last thing of value that I drop in that young man's life until he gets to maturity, until he learns how to steward it. You say, you know, don't, don't judge that kid. Because when was the last time God dropped supernatural encouragement in your life and two weeks later God drives by and your encouragement is in the street, broken in half with the handlebar missing and the tire missing? God says, okay, I see. I've got to be careful what mysteries of the kingdom I drop into this believer's life. See, you're waiting for God to give you prophecy and tongues and interpretation and and deep gifts of the Spirit, but you can't steward simple encouragement. The thing that you need to remember is that God's favor lasts for a lifetime. Now, anything that God gives you that's good flows out of his favor, and that means anything that he gives you that's good is supposed to last a lifetime. None of God's blessings are intended to be temporary. They're all intended to be permanent, but they're only permanent if you steward them. When God makes you strong, he never expects you to be weak again. When God blesses you, he never expects you to be under the curse again. When God sets you free, he never expects you to be in bondage again. When God encourages you, he never expects you to be discouraged again. When God lifts you out of the pit, he expects you to stand on the mountain for the rest of your life. Why? Because his favor is for a lifetime. But what we do is we take permanent blessings and turn them into temporary blessings because we don't steward them. 
They require stewardship. And so Paul says, I'm here to let everybody know the stewardship of the mysteries. I'm, st- I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I understand that God knocked me off my beast on the road to Damascus and revealed Christ to me. But the moment my eyes were open to see Christ, and notice that the moment Paul's op- eyes were open to see Christ, they were blinded to everything else. For three days he could not see anything else but Christ. He was so blinded by his vision of Christ that he could not see everything else. You know, when you have that experience where Christ knocks you down, I mean, where he knocks you, where he blinds you to the world, where he opens your eyes to the things of the kingdom, it's easy to steward the mystery because you're overtaken by it, you're captured by it. But from the moment Paul's eyes were open again and he could see the natural world again, he had to hold on to that heavenly vision. He had to steward it. He had to make a decision, I'm not going to let it go. You've got to steward it. You've got to steward it. You've got to make a decision that when he sets me on high, I'll never come down again. That when he makes me strong, and the thing you need to realize is that hell is constantly working on you to pull you out of the flow of the kingdom. Hell is constantly working on you to take you to the place of weakness when the kingdom of God is power. Hell is constantly working to pull you into the place of wickedness when the kingdom of God is righteousness. Hell is constantly working on you to pull you to the place of fear and anxiety when the kingdom of God is peace. I'm telling you that you must make a decision that I am going to steward the mysteries of God and I'm going to make sure never to lose it again. When God gives me something, God, I will never lose it again. You know, one thing about Joseph is that he knows how to steward things. You know, we, I remember you know, we gave him a cell phone, you know, a, a Blackberry, a Crackberry. That was the first phone we gave him. Man, he stewarded that thing. He kept it in pristine condition. You know, a year later, I went through five Blackberries in one year. Those things were breaking down, and those things are pieces of the junk anyway. You need to get an iPhone and get saved. But he stewarded that thing. He kept, he knew it had been entrusted to him. And so when it was time to upgrade him to a droid, we had no problem doing so because we knew that he would steward it. You know, there are other servants of God we entrust this to or trust that to, and next thing you know, it turns up broken. Come on, somebody. You understand what I'm saying to you? When God sees that we steward the small things, he makes us master of the great things. And you say, why? God hasn't given me anything. Has he given you the simple mystery that he loves you? Steward that mystery. Steward it. Don't allow yourself to feel rejected. The thing you need to realize is that temptation is only possible when you cease to believe that you have what the devil's offering you. You have the authentic version of of what the devil is offering you as a counterfeit. When you cease to believe that, now you're in the realm in which you can be tempted. Remember, Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. He comes to Eve and he says, if you eat this tree, if you eat the fruit of this tree, you'll be like God. She had to stop believing that she was like God. In order to fall for that temptation. She should have said like God. I was created like God. I was formed in his image and likeness. Adam and I. We are the glory of God. We are the image of God. We are the only thing created. You're going to make me like God. God already made me like God. What are you trying to pull devil? You're telling me I need something else to make me like God. When I have been created to be like God. In true righteousness and holiness. Satan says to Jesus, turn these stones to bread. He says, turn these stones to bread. I don't live by bread. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of my father. And my father's constantly speaking, and so I got a lot to eat. Takes him up to this high mountain and says, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. 
Have you not read Psalm 2? Where my father said to me, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The father's already given me all these nations. You're going to give them to me? What in the name of me are you trying to pull? (laughs) Satan comes to you and says, I'll give you pleasure. You're going to give me pleasure? When in his presence there's fullness of joy? At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore? How are you going to give me pleasure when I already got it? I'll give you acceptance. You're going to accept me? Devil, you're going to accept me? How are you going to accept me when he chose me before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight? When in love he predestined me to be adopted as his son, you're going to accept me? I'm already accepted. You've got to believe in what you have, but believing in what you have means that you steward the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So they are revealed, but they're also invisible. The mysteries are revealed, but invisible. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The mysteries of God come into effect at the very place where they are contradicted by what you see in the sight realm. That's why they're deep truths. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we must hold to the deep truths of the faith without wavering. You've got to hold to the deep truths of the faith because the devil's constantly trying to separate you from them. And so you've got to cling to them for dear life and say, no, no, this is deep and it's true. And so I'm going to cling to it. There's certain things in life that are true, but they're deep. They're deep because they're hidden from your eyes. They're hidden from the sight realm, but they're in the faith realm. And they're in the realm of truth that is above the realm of sight. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight, because we're not looking to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What you see is that there's no money in your bank account, but that's temporary. Because next week you're going to get some. What you don't see is that you have a, a treasure in heaven that never perishes, spoils, or fades. And that is not temporary. It's permanent. It's eternal. So if you have a treasure in heaven that never perishes, spoils, or fades, why would you be discouraged by a temporary broke experience? Check this out. If you were talking to Donald Trump's son and he told you he was broke, you would slap him twice. You'd come right through and then... Just follow it with a backhand. Just a nice fluid motion. You know, you would wax on, wax off. Or paint the, th- you know, you would, you would pip slap him. Why? Because he's Donald Trump's son. You cannot be the son of Donald Trump and be poor. If he started crying, oh, I'm so broke, I'm so poor. You'd say, listen, you're Donald Trump's son. He said, no, but look in my wallet, I got nothing. You may be having a broke experience, but you can never be broke and be the son of Donald Trump. You're a rich man having a broke experience. Get over it. Now, I think your father in heaven is just a little bit wealthier than Donald Trump. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Just a little bit. If you would slap Donald Trump's son, then for you and I to complain about being broke, we deserve to be slapped four times. I'm giving you permission. The next time a believer tells you how broke they are, just slap them four times. I mean, come through, come back through with the backhand, and then come through again. I'm talking about a baptism of slap. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You may be having a broke experience, but it's temporary. 
It's temporary. You have a treasure in heaven that's permanent. It never perishes, spoils, or fades, but that's a mystery that you must steward. You've got to steward it. You've got to steward that mystery. Now, let me talk a little bit about what the stewardship of the mysteries of God means. There's two words that Paul uses for stewardship. The first one he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is the word koinonia. Koinonia, it's the fellowship of the mystery. Koinonia. The second word he uses in Ephesians 3 is oikonomia. Oikonomia. Oikonomia, it means administration or stewardship. Both words can mean stewardship or administration. And there's four senses of stewarding the mysteries of God, four senses of that term, that, uh, four senses of the concept that comes out of these two terms. When we put these two terms together, there's four senses that come out of it. First of all, koinonia means communion. To steward the mysteries of God, first of all, you must commune with them, meaning you must become intimate with the mysteries of God. And you become intimate with something by focusing on it, by giving it your undivided attention, by meditating on it. That is, you take it into the deep places of your being, and you must be intentional. We have lost the value of meditation because we're so afraid of becoming monastic. You say, well, meditation is for hermits and monks, or we think it's Buddhist. I want to tell you that believers in Jesus Christ have been meditating long before Buddhism was even a reality. And matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look at Psalm chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his, light, in his law he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. And it says he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He'll bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. That is, he meditates on it. It means he takes it deep into his mind and descends with the mind into the heart, and there stands before the face of God in the presence of that mystery. It means that you turn it over and over again. You continue to reflect upon it. It means you bring your heart and mind into alignment with it. And here's the thing. When you begin to meditate on the mysteries of God, you are declaring them in the face of a reality that seems to contradict them. That's why they must be meditated upon to be intimate with them. Because so many of us can't be intimate with the mysteries of God because we're already intimate with the deception of the devil. And you've got to kick the devil out of your bed before you can get God in it. But God and the devil will not climb into bed with you and have a threesome. You've got to get the devil out of there. You've got to tell deception to get out. You've got to pull the sheets off the bed and say, okay, deception, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm not lying in the bed with you anymore. You get up and you pack your bags and you get out and you better have Revelation standing at the door waiting to come in. No cooling off period. You know, they say when you end a relationship, you should wait about a year or two years before you start a new one. No cooling off period. I've got Revelation standing at the door. I'm done with deception. I'm moving Revelation in and deception out at the same moment. And you better have a good relationship with Revelation because as soon as you and Revelation get in a fight, deception is waiting to come right back in. Don't you be storming out the door because you're mad at Revelation. <laughs> Are you hearing me this morning? <clears throat> so first of all, communion. You must commune with the mysteries of God. That is, you must become intimate with them, and you become intimate with them by continuing to meditate on them day and night. That is, you've got to give them your undivided attention. You've got to dwell with them. 
You must have communion. You must have intercourse with the mysteries of God. You must let them come into your mind and heart and you must come into them. They must come into you and you must come into them. You've got to live in them and let them live in you. You have to be intimate with the mysteries of God. <clears throat> and you do so by meditating on them. You know another word about meditation? We all do it. We all do it. We, you, you meditate all the time. The problem is what, question is what are you meditating on? See, believers sitting around meditating on how rejected they are. I'm screwed. And nobody loves me. And nobody cares about me. You know, when somebody sits down and says, how are you doing? The first thing that comes out of your mouth is the meditations of your heart. Whatever you've been meditating on, that just immediately comes to play. If you ask somebody, what's the Lord saying? And they, have to, they say, give me some time to figure that out. It means they haven't been meditating on the things of God. I can tell what you've been meditating on because what you speak when I see you, that's what you've been meditating on. You know, I got on the plane with my spiritual father, and we were going to Korea, and I didn't sleep the whole 12 hours. You know why I didn't sleep the whole 12 hours? Because he was talking the whole 12 hours, and he was dropping bombs over Baghdad. I'm talking about fat revelation. You will never sit with him and hear him say, oh, I'm struggling. Why? Because even if he struggles, he never meditates on his struggle. In the midst of his struggle, he meditates on the goodness of God. And he meditates on the, on the purpose of God and the power of God and the word of God. So when you sit with him, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, this morning the Spirit of the Lord said, I was in the word of God, this is what the Spirit of the Lord said. And, oh, man, I was typing furiously. And it got to the point where, you know, you can get so glutted with revelation that you can't handle anymore. He dropped so many bombs that I said, I'm going to go get Mickey and have him sit with you. And I switched seats with Mickey and had him sit there for a couple hours. And then Mickey and Daniel switched for a couple hours. And then I came back, and he, he just kept talking. A 12-hour flight! He just kept talking. And he's, and he, yes, and the Lord is saying, and God is doing. And we're just typing furiously and recording and typing with one hand and recording with the other. Then we get to Korea. Now watch this. We had been up for 22 hours. We get to Pastor Christian and Aaron's house, and he sat down with them and said, let me share with you what the Lord is saying. I mean, the, and he was just bubbling. He looked like he had just came out of the shower. He was just fresh and alive, and he's just sharing the things of God. And I said, Bishop, you've been up for 22 hours. He said, yes, but I'm just so excited about what God is saying. I said, well, you done outlived me. I got to go to sleep. This youngster needs some sleep. <coughs> I go in the room. I fell asleep at midnight. I wake up at 4 a.m. And I'm, I'm angry I was awake at 4 a.m. You know, I'm tossing and turning. I thought I was going to sleep for 12 hours. I was up for 22 hours. So I'm tossing and turning and frustrated all night long, trying to turn on some worship music, but just kind of upset, generally mad to be awake. <laughs> Felt forsaken by the Lord, you know. And about 9 a.m., he comes out of the room like this. Mm. Mm. Good morning, man of God. And I said, how did you sleep? He says, well, I only slept about four hours, but that's typical for me. And I said, really? I couldn't sleep last night either. I only slept four hours. I think the devil was attacking me. He said, no, man of God. He said, that's God's gift to the shepherd. He said, I sleep about four hours, and then the Holy Spirit wakes me up, and then I'm just with the Lord. And I meditate on the things of God from about 4 a.m. to about 8 a.m. I just meditate on the things of God every night. And he says, and I watch over my flock by night, and that's why the devil can't get in. When the shepherds learn how to watch over the flock by night, the devil can't get in. He said, the next time, the, the next time you wake up in the middle of the night, just begin to talk to the Lord. Just begin to turn your heart to the Lord, and you'll find he'll take you into a deeper place. So I said, okay, okay. The next night I went to sleep, and I'm thinking, now that, that's not going to work tonight because, you know, I only slept four hours last night. I'm exhausted. I woke up after four hours, exactly four hours. I woke up. 
And then I turned my heart to the Lord. And I fellowship with God for the whole rest of the night. 9 a.m., he and I both came out at the same time. <laughs> I said, it worked. It worked. That's, the Lord did that for me last night. He said, man of God, wait till you spend the whole night in prayer. Wait till you don't sleep an, uh, a wink. He says, when you pray all night long, the next morning you feel refreshed. You feel alive. You feel like you slept for 12 hours. You know, every night for that week, I slept four hours and talked to the Lord the rest of the night. Every night that week. And then he left Monday morning to come back, and I didn't leave till Wednesday morning. Monday night, I slept nine hours. <laughs> I came under his grace while I was in his presence. This is what I learned by that. So often, most believers in Jesus Christ, we've got an inferiority complex about our level of spirituality. We think, I'm just not as spiritually disciplined as the next person. What I learned is that I don't get there through spiritual discipline. I simply begin to feed off of the anointing that's on my spiritual father. I came under his grace. And what I'm learning is that I can activate that grace. Actually, I have it with me now. Everything that's in his life, it's flowing into my life. Instead of trying to make it happen myself. See, when the body of Christ lost the concept of spiritual fatherhood in the Reformation of the 16th century, and by the way, spiritual fatherhood has been a concept that has been central to the life of the church for more than two, really for more than 4,500 years since the time of Abraham. And it was very strong in the early church. It was very strong throughout the Christian centuries until the Reformation came and the Reformers reacted against it and threw it out of Protestantism. And we lost something at that point. What we lost was the ability to pass down revelation through the generations. Because he said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. If we can't have no children, we can't pass down revelation. And so what everybody thinks is, I've got to get my own revelation. I've got to go in the prayer closet and get it for myself. No, no, no. You don't have to get it for yourself. You receive it through inheritance. It, it's passed down to you. It flows down. And here's why that's important. You know, a couple of months ago, I woke up in the morning, and I was being attacked by a spirit of fear and torment. The torment was so strong that I just, I just was overwhelmed with this fear, like this overwhelming fear. And I laid on my face before the Lord from 8 a.m. to noon and cried out to God to break it off of my life to no avail. At noon, I called my spiritual father. He talked to me for 10 minutes, and it broke. He said, what's going on, man of God? I said, I'm just wracked with this fear, like this torment to the devil. That's nothing but a lie of the devil to tell you you're weak when you're strong. To tell you you failed when you're moving with great power and there's nothing failing. There's no failure in you, but there's nothing but great success. That stuff broke off my life in 10 minutes. I thought I wasted four hours. Do you know there's such thing as wasted prayer? And here's why it's wasted. Not that it's a waste ever to pray, but it's a waste to pray for yourself. I could have spent that four hours praying for you and I would have made all kind of progress. I can pray for you for 30 minutes and see victory and breakthrough and and see revival come into your life but i pray for me for four hours and get nowhere that's why we gave you lay pastors here's what i want you to do when the devil comes against you just call your lay pastor and say this is what i'm struggling with and let them break it off of your life but when you go into your prayer closet stop praying for yourself and pray for somebody else the only thing god wants you to do for you is simply cultivate communion with the mysteries you say well, what's a mystery that i can commune with Let's start with something simple. See, when we think about revelation, we think of something complex, you know, something tweetable. When somebody says something so deep and so profound, ooh, that's revelation. 
You know what revelation is? Let me give you, let me give you a, just a, a, a bare, the deepest revelation. First of all, I'll give you, let's start with the deepest revelation of the Christian faith. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. That's the deepest, that's the most profound revelation. I can't give you anything deeper than that. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves Meditate on that mystery. Why? Because some of you feel so unloved and you feel so rejected and you think what you need is to go through 16 years of therapy and talk through everything that ever happened to you. What you need is to steward the mystery that the love of Jesus Christ is greater than any man's rejection, greater than any woman's rejection, that if you would cultivate an awareness and communion with the love of Jesus Christ, it will overwhelm. David said, if my father and mother reject me, the Lord will accept me. He said, there is a greater acceptance than my father and mother's acceptance. It's the Lord's acceptance. And because of the Lord's great love, he was so intimate with that mystery. Cultivate a communion. Koinonia, communion. Be intimate with the mystery. Be intimate with the mystery that God indwells you. God lives in you. That is a mystery that we live so far from. We're constantly meditating on everything else. I feel so alone. I mean, we're just sitting in the we're sitting at home going, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I'm rejected. I'm broken. I'm broken. And we come out of our 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 rooms in the morning after meditating on that all night long. I'm so rejected. Nobody loves me. God hasn't fulfilled anything that he promised me. And what we're doing is we're practicing the absence of God. Now, Brother Andrew wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Uh, Brother Lawrence, sorry. I get the brothers mixed up. <laughs> Practicing the Presence of God. You know what? We practice the absence of God, don't we? Practicing the Presence of God means meditating on His presence. It means cultivating an awareness for His perpetual presence in your life. You know what we do? We practice the absence of God by cultivating an awareness of how far we are from Him. David said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my sins from me. We, we, we feel like, Lord, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed yourself from me. Can I drop some revelation to you? If anyone has joined himself to Christ, he is one spirit with him. You, your spirit and Christ's spirit are one spirit. You can't get no closer than one spirit. But it's a mystery, isn't it? And so you have to commune with it. You have to continue to confess it when you feel the opposite. You can't commune with the lie anymore. You can't commune with deception anymore. You can't be intimate with anymore. You've got to meditate on the mysteries of God and cultivate an awareness of them. Secondly, from koinonia to oikonomia. The first sense of koinonia is communion. The first sense of oikonomia is maintenance or cultivation. Let me give you an example. If I was a rich man, now rich people in the ancient world, they had stewards over their house. So if I was a rich man, I would appoint Daniel to be the steward over my house. Now, if Daniel's the steward over my house, I take all of the resources of my house and I entrust them to Daniel. I say, your job is to govern these resources and to maintain them so that they never run out. That's your job. You've got to govern this. You've got to steward it well. Now, if the day after I committed all of my resources to Daniel, he knocked on the door of my bedroom and said, uh, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? All of the resources you gave me yesterday, they're gone. Why are they gone? Well, see, I heard some guys knocking at the door, right? And I knew they were probably trouble, but I opened the door anyway. And as soon as I opened the door, they all rushed into the house. They beat me up, beat up everybody in the house, 
and they consumed all of the resources and carried them away. And so all of the resources are gone. I would grab him by the shirt and say, Daniel, I entrusted my resources to you. You're supposed to maintain them. Dude, what you, why did you open the door? Why did you open the door? Whenever God reveals anything to you, it's also something he's entrusting to your care, and he expects you to maintain it and govern it and protect it. Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to your care. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. But so often we come knocking at God's door. Uh, Lord, uh, all the blessing, encouragement, and words you gave me yesterday, uh, it's all gone. <laughs> all the power you released in my it's all gone. Why? What happened? Well, see, um, the devil came knocking at my door, and I knew it was him, but I opened it anyway. Whenever I hear believers say, I know this is the devil, but I say, stop right there. I don't want to hear it then, because I'm not going to entertain the voice of the devil. I know it's just the devil, but then there's no but. Then stop. Renounce it, reject it, and I want you to hear, this is the Lord. I want to hear the word of the Lord, not the word of Satan. There's too many believers that are walking in satanic revelation. <laughs> I got a word from Satan last night. <laughs> there are too many prophets of Satan in the body of Christ because whenever, whenever they're revealing some revelation to you, it's last night the devil came to me and he told me this. Last night the devil told me he's going to do this. And, la- and I'm just going to declare in the assembly of the, of the brothers, I'm going to declare before the generations what the devil saith. Thus saith Satan. Keep it to yourself. No, don't keep it to yourself. Reject it and send it to the pit. Don't spend any time meditating on the word of Satan. Instead, meditate on the word of the Lord. Rise up in your spirit and say, wait, 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 wait. That's from Satan. That, stop. That's all I need to know. Stop it right there. Stop the presses. Renounce it. Reject it. Send it back to the pit. Keep the door closed because whatever God gives you, he intends for you to maintain it. He intends for you to steward it. He intends for you to govern it, to guard it, to protect it so that it is never depleted. Why? Because of the third aspect, which is the second aspect of oikonomia. Oikonomia is, first of all, maintenance, but it's secondly, administration. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, God's given me the task of making plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Daniel, I entrusted all of my resources to you, and I entrust you to be a steward over my house. Why? Because everyone in the house now, it's your responsibility to feed them. Listen, when God reveals a mystery to you, when he gives you any kind of revelation, it means that he expects you to feed people with it. It's never just for you. I don't care if God woke you up and said, I love you. Now you're responsible to go give the love of God to others. And if you don't guard that mystery that's been entrusted to you, if you don't protect it, if you let the devil come in and take it from you, you have just let him take it from everybody that you're supposed to give it to. And because we don't understand the administration of the mystery, we don't think it's a big deal when we let the devil come in and take it from us because I think it just affects me. We've got to get that individualized idea of spirituality and Christianity out of our minds. Your Christianity is not just for you. It's always, 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 always for others. Whatever, even the word that you are hearing right now. See, too many believers come to church and hear a good word and think my only role is to come sit and hear and say amen. Let me say to you by the word of the Lord that the body of Christ is not one big mouth and a bunch of little ears. You're supposed to hear it. You're supposed to consume it. You're supposed to meditate on it and then give it. 
everything that you're receiving right now, you're responsible to give it away. There's an administration to the mystery of it. Are you hearing me? You've got to give it away. And when you begin to give it away, it grows. It grows. It multiplies in the giving of it. And we see that in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, I used to preach for years that Jesus took that bread and fish and he blessed it and then he broke it and then he multiplied it and then he gave it. No. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. He didn't multiply it. He had five loaves and three fish, and he broke them up and handed them to the disciples, and all they had accumulated in the midst of the 12 of them in their hands was five loaves and three fish. It wasn't multiplied yet. He said, now go give it. When they stepped into the realm of the administration of it, the multiplication happened in their hand. What God has given you, and God gives you, sometimes the revelation that God gives you seems like five loaves and three fish. Jesus loves you. It seems like just cliche. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It just seems like a cliche. But when you begin to give it to somebody else, when you step into the realm of the administration of it, I say it will multiply in your hand, and it will multiply in your heart. And what the disciples ended up with at the end of that miracle, first of all, the whole multitude was fed, and then there were 12 baskets left. The disciples started with a few crumbs, and they ended each with a basket. I'm saying that when God gives it to you, he gives it to you in the form of just a few little pieces. But if you would be faithful to administer it and to give it away, you'll find yourself with a basket of it at the end. It multiplies not only for you but for the people, but it multiplies in the giving of it. You can't just sit in a room and try to meditate on it day and night by yourself. You've got to give it and meditate on it and give it and meditate on it and give it and come back to the Lord and let him give you more and meditate on it and give it and meditate on it and come back to the Lord and let him give you more and give it and meditate on it and maintain it and maintain it and keep the door shut to the devil so that he can't come in and steal it from you. You hearing me? And then the final aspect of the administration or the stewardship is the final component of koinonia. Not just communion, but koinonia is joint ownership. Joint ownership. It goes from communion to maintenance to administration to joint ownership. When you come into that place, the mystery does not just belong to God, but it belongs to you. It means that it has seeped so deeply into your life that it's a part of who you are. It means that you don't wake up in the morning having to fight your way into it anymore. You wake up believing it. It means that your default setting, you know, when, <laughs> you know what your default setting is? When you're caught off guard, what's your default setting? <laughs> you know, like, like, is your default setting to say a curse word? You know what I'm saying? Like if you get caught in the wrong situation at the wrong time, does something come out of your mouth that you didn't know what was up in there? I was saying, he said, son of a, you know what I mean? And I, oh, I'm sorry, where did that come from? Oh, I'm sorry, I was just a, yeah, that was just a moment where, yeah, that was a moment where you came down to your default setting. It was just a reflex. Yeah, that tells us what your reflexes are. When you come to the place where your reflex is to bless the Lord, where you reflexively believe, where you reflexively forgive, you're, where you're just, your reflex is to speak blessing. You get hit by a car and without thinking, Lord, I bless them. <laughs> or somebody just slaps you in the face and your, re your reflex is, Father, do not hold this sin to their charge. Where people are throwing stones at you and just reflexive you, re reflexively you cry out, Lord, don't hold this sin to their charge. When they've nailed you to a cross and reflexively you cry out, Father, forgive them. 
for they don't know what they're doing. I'm talking about when the mystery becomes so deep where when you look at your bank account and you see nothing and you've got a stack of bills on the desk and you reflexively say, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Where you get hit with the deepest rejection of your life and reflexively you cry out, but Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm talking about where the mysteries of the kingdom become yours and where you begin to possess them when they seek so deep into your mind and heart that you can't help but think them and you can't help but feel them and you can't help but speak the things which you have seen and heard when you become so intimate with the mysteries of God that that's all you know and that's all you are. Where people say, I'm waiting to see your dark side. And you say, I'm sorry, but I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You're not going to see my dark side. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And I'm in God. And I've been so absorbed into the light of God that it's canceled out all of my darkness. Are you hearing me today? If we would be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, we will become the mysteries of God. If we would faithfully steward the revelation of God, we will become the revelation of God. Paul says you are living epistles, not written with ink, but written with the spirit of the living God, written on the table of your hearts. I'm saying to you that God wants to make you revelation. He wants to let his light so permeate your life that when people see you, they know that you are the light of the world. You are the city that's set upon a hill and it cannot be hidden. And your light cannot be hidden under a bowl but it's going to be put up on the stand and you're going to give light to everyone in the house are you hearing me this morning God says I have so much to give you but I'm looking for stewards because he's not giving the mysteries of the kingdom to casual observers he's not giving the mysteries of the kingdom he's not giving the mysteries of the kingdom to heck of fake Christians He's not committing the mysteries of the kingdom to hypocrites. I'm saying that the mysteries have been revealed, but you still got to seek God with all your heart to come into the place where you find them. I'm saying that they're revealed, but they're still hidden, and they're hidden from the wise and prudent. They're hidden from those who are wise in their own eyes. He said, though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. I say that even though the mystery is openly revealed, it's hidden from you if you're walking in pride and arrogance. I say that the mystery of the kingdom, and I say that when God wants to make you a steward of the mysteries of the kingdom, he first gives you a stewardship in his house. Because if you can't be a faithful steward over vacuuming the floor in the house of God, he's not going to be able to make you a steward over the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You say, God, I want revelation. And he says, okay, I'm giving you a task. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? God is looking for stewards, but we must be stewards of the small things. And I'm not telling you today that you should go home and seek deep revelation. That's going to come. You're going to seek that. But what has God entrusted to you now? Each and every one of us here, we have a trust. God has stewarded something to you. And you got, God has entrusted something to you. And are you stewarding even the small little thing? Even if he just gave you a crumb and said, steward that crumb. Don't lose that crumb. Don't let the devil take that crumb from you. Don't let it be depleted. Steward it. Hold on to it. Guard it by the. I'm telling you that I don't care if God just gave you a little corner and said, Occupy that corner. If you stand in that corner and say, The devil's not going to take this corner from me, I'm going to guard this corner. I'm going to stand guard over it day and night. The devil's not getting up in here. I say, If you're faithful with that corner, God will make you a master over cities. Are you hearing me today? 
Walk in the light that you have. Stop feeling bad that you don't have the light that somebody else has. Stop feeling insignificant and inferior because you don't have the revelation that somebody else has. What revelation do you have? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that by his wounds you are healed? Do you know that my God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory? Then steward those mysteries. Steward them. Guard them. Guard them with the help of the Holy Spirit. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Buy it and don't sell it. Hold on to it and walk in it. And as you walk in that place, now God has something to build on. Because we're entering into a season where he's focusing on the building of his house. I say to you that he's not focusing on fixing economies. He's focusing on building his house. I say he's not focusing on fixing your finances. He's focusing on fixing his house. And I say that we must be focused on what God is focused on. And many of you here today, you're still mourning your past, and God is saying it's time for you to move beyond it because every moment that you spend mourning your past is a moment that you don't spend cultivating your future. You cannot change your past, but you can change your future. And your past is the administration of Saul, but God is moving you from the administration of Saul to the administration of David. After God removed Saul, Samuel was crying, and God came to him and said, Samuel, why are you still crying about Saul? I'm done with him. I've moved on with him. I'm telling you that that which is behind you is that which God is done with. He's moved on from it, but when God is done with something, we should be done with it. And I'm saying it's time to be done with the administration of Saul. God said, I found my servant David to be a man after my own heart, and he will do all of my bidding. God says that I see for you a future that is vibrant and I found in you a heart that is after my heart and I know that you will do all of my bidding. God says even in the past if you've been disobedient now I'm giving you a spirit of obedience and you will do all of my bidding. God says I'm taking you beyond that rebellious administration of Saul and I'm taking you into the obedience of David but you've got to grasp it and you've got to begin to steward it by faith. You've got to be intimate with that mystery and you're not going to let it go. And this is why it's so important, because the year 2012 is the year of stewardship, and it's the year of harvest. It's the year of stewardship, and it's the year of harvest. But the harvest will be harvested through stewardship. If we don't become stewards, God's not going to send the harvest, because he cannot give the harvest just to anyone. He will only give it to those who will steward it. God is going to make you a steward of souls. He's going to make you a steward of peoples. He's going to make you a steward of salvation. I say that I see the church of Jesus Christ rising up in these last days with the power of salvation in their hands and with the everlasting gospel in their mouths. And I say you're going to see people come to Christ in the year 2012. The Lord spoke to me the other day and he said the weakest among you will see souls saved in the year 2012. I'm talking about the most hypocritical Christian in this room, the most heck of fake, shallow believer with no revelation, no insight, no... No power of God. I'm talking about you that sit on the back row because you don't want to be close to the fire in the front row. I'm saying even you, you're going to see souls saved and you're going to see lives changed. God says the least among us will be like David. He said the least among us will be like David and the house of David will be like God. He is elevating us to the place where people are going to say even the weak Christians at that church are more powerful than any believer I've met. He's taking us to that place. You're going to see souls saved. You're going to see lives changed by the power of God but God is looking for stewards he's looking for stewards because the revelation that he's giving you and the mysteries of the kingdom that you're stewarding right now you're going to give those mysteries of the kingdom to those that you're leading to Christ he's going to give you people to care for God said to me that the 200 or so people we have in this congregation you are the core group You are the core. God is sending multitudes, but you better get ready to steward them. You better get ready in your heart, and you better stop struggling with the same things you've been struggling with. God's taking you beyond that junk. Why? Because you're going to pull other people out of it now. 
You're going to pull other people out of it now. It's not about you anymore. Stop fighting a fool's battle. Are you hearing me this morning? Did I already talk about Nabal or was that first service? Okay, I got to say this real quick and then I'm going to bring it in for a landing. David, when he fought his own battle, he fought a fool's war. He armed 300 men to go kill one fool. Nabal was his name. And the name means fool. Abigail came and met him on the road and said, far be it from you to defend yourself. You fight the Lord's battles, not your own battles. You know, when you fight your own battles, you're entering into a fool's war. And David armed 300 men with swords to kill one fool. You know, when you're praying for yourself, you think you need a whole lot more work than you actually do. Some of you are looking at your life and you're thinking, I need 300 armed men to kill this thing. And there's Abigails that are coming out saying, no, you don't. You don't need to fight that thing at all. The Lord is fighting your battles. What you've got to do is start fighting the Lord's battles. You don't go to war unless the Lord says, I want you to go to war for this. Here's the key. Jesus had great power, but he refused to use it to feed himself. Remember when he fed the 5,000? How many baskets were left over? Not 13, 12. How many disciples did he have? You know who didn't get a basket? Jesus. He refused to use his power. In a second, he'd multiply it to feed the multitude, but he wouldn't take a a bite of it for himself. Why? Because he knew that his father fed him and he fed others. And when Satan tempted him to use his own power to feed himself, he refused. Turn these stones to bread if you be the son of God. We're constantly looking for ways to provide for ourselves. Most of us think we need a job so that we can have something. Paul said, go get a job so you can give something. So that you will have something to give. Jesus said, I live by the words that come from my father's mouth. I just believe my father's going to provide for me. And I don't need to do anything to provide for myself. You know why you're working that secular job? Because God needs a witness for his kingdom in that company. Not because you need money. We can't be the light of the world when we're going to the world thinking we need what the world has. The world will never know that it needs what you have as long as you think you need what the world has. And when we go to the world clamoring, please give us money, please give us some provision, we're not stewarding the mystery that my God will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Listen, when the economy quakes and believers quake, it's a travesty and a sin. When there's rumors at your company there's going to be layoffs and we're going to church going, oh, pray for me because there's rumors of layoffs and I might lose my job. Who cares? God provides for you. God protects you. You say, but how can I survive without my job? You know, it says there in Revelation that that the day is coming when those who don't take the mark of the beast can neither buy nor sell. Do you know the day is coming when the believers of Jesus Christ are going to be locked out of the economy? I used to read that with fear. That means we're going to be poor. And God spoke to me and said, do you realize that what you're saying is you don't believe I provide for you? You believe the economy provides for you? I'm telling you God could shut down and burn the economy but provide for his people without money. He said in Isaiah 55, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Listen, if I don't have any bread, he can rain it down from heaven and call it manna. If I don't have any water, he can call it out of a rock. If I don't have any fish, he can command them to jump in my net. I'm telling you, all he needs is a few crumbs, and he can feed multitudes with it. The economy can fall apart, and he can take me to a brook and command ravens to bring me bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. God is your provider, and he will provide, but you've got to rise up in faith, and you've got to cultivate that mystery. You've got to commune with it. I don't need the economy. The economy needs me. I don't need this company. This company needs me. I don't need the money of the world. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I swear to God I'm not taking a bootstrap from you. You're not going to say I made Abram rich. I'm telling you who made me rich. The Lord my God is my provider. The Lord my God is my provider. Come on, somebody. The church has lived with an inferiority complex for too long. It's because we have not stewarded the mysteries of the kingdom of God, when we begin to steward the mysteries, all of that inferiority breaks off of us and we recognize that we are wealthy. We recognize that we are blessed. We recognize that we are the light of the world. And I say to you today that you're a chosen generation. I say that you're a chosen generation. You're a special people. You're a people belonging to God, and you will declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And once you receive mercy, I say that you become ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you have the everlasting gospel in your mouth. You are the light of the world. The world is not your light. You are its light. Listen, God has you where you are because he needs a witness for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in that place. If you're in a secular company, he needs a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in that company. You don't need that company. That company needs you. Are you hearing me today? Are you hearing me? You're going to steward the mysteries. I'm telling you that you are becoming stewards of the mysteries of the kingdom. You've always had them, but now you're learning how to steward them. You've always had them, but now you're learning how to buy the truth and not sell it. You're learning how to hold on to it. You're learning how to guard it, how to possess it, how to meditate on it day and night. You're learning how to get it in your spirit. You're learning how to administrate it, and this is the key. Pastor Daniels, every time I used to call him and say, I'm so broke, I got no money. He would say, no, son, you have everything you need. I used to get so mad. (laughs) This man's living in a dream world. This is that word of faith stuff. Yeah, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. No, son, you have all you need. All you got to do. He said, when Samson killed a thousand Philistines, he said, Lord, am I now going to die of thirst? And the Lord opened his eyes and showed him that there was a a brook there, a fountain. So the fountain was already there, but the Lord had to open his eyes and show him where it is. He said, when Adam needed a wife, he didn't know it. God had to tell him. You don't know what you need. God knows what you need. And Jesus said, the Father knows what you have need of before you ask him. And when God went to meet Adam's need, he didn't go outside the garden. He simply put Adam to sleep and brought it out of him. What you need is already on the inside of you. God just has to bring it out. I'm telling you that you have everything you need for life and godliness. Even if you don't have a dollar in the bank, you've got his good and precious promises. You've got such great and precious promises. And the scripture says, great is the mystery of godliness. I tell you, we have a great mystery. We have a, I'm telling you that the mystery that he did not reveal to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he revealed it to you. The mystery 
that he did not reveal to Moses and Joshua, he revealed it to you. I'm telling you that you are possessors of a mystery that he didn't reveal to Daniel and the prophets. He didn't reveal it to them, but he revealed it to you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, that is a mystery that was hidden from ages and generations. I say you got more revelation than the prophets of Israel did. You got more revelation. You got more revelation. You got more revelation. And so there's no excuse for being defeated by the devil. Stand to your feet before I preach all day. (coughs) Lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we renounce and reject our fellowship with every work of darkness. And specifically, we renounce our fellowship with unbelief. It is time for the people of God to begin to treat unbelief like the devil. It's wicked. And it always causes us to turn from the living God. It's time to put it out. Time to put it out. Listen, I got good news for you. There's some of you here today and you say, but God's given me so much, but I just haven't stewarded it. God's given me so much revelation, so much understanding. He's blessed me with so many blessings that I've allowed to fall to the wayside. So many times he encouraged me and I was discouraged a week later. But this is the word of the Lord to you today. There's no loss. And I'll tell you why there's no loss. Because his favor is for a lifetime. And so if there's any favor that he's given you, he's never taken it away. He doesn't give temporary favor. He gives eternal favor. You say, but I'm separated from it. All you have to do is come back into it, and it'll come back into you. All you have to do is make a decision. I'm going to begin to steward it today. This time, I'm not letting it go. This time, I'm not letting it go. This time, I will not be separated from it. This time, it's not happening to me again. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare that my, 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 my past is over and gone. It's gone. It's gone. Now I'm going to walk in newness of life. Just begin to open your mouth and declare it right now. You're done with that stuff. Begin to declare right now that all of that unbelief and deception is gone. Now you're going to steward the mysteries of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to declare it. Begin to commune with those mysteries right now. Just come into communion. Begin to declare them. Begin to articulate them with your mouth. Articulate them with your mouth. God, you love me. You love me. You are my provider. You are my provider. You are my provider. I remove that poverty spirit, that orphan spirit, that rejection spirit, that defeat spirit. I remove it from you right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I I call you free. I say you are not in any yoke of bondage. I call you free. You are free to enter into the realm of the mysteries of God. He is setting you on high right now. Setting you far above every power of deception. Setting you far above. He's setting you on high because you have known His name. You're going to fellowship with the mysteries of God. You're going to steward those mysteries. You're going to administrate them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, don't stop. Just press deeper into the mysteries right now. Press deeper into the mysteries. He's taking you in. He's taking you in. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every power of unbelief is broken. Every power of fear is broken. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power 
and of a sound mind. He's given you love. He's given you power. He's given you soundness of mind. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, get it today. Get it today. You're not leaving without the mysteries. You're not going to leave this place in darkness and confusion. You're going to walk out in revelation. You're not leaving without the mysteries. You're not leaving. The mysteries of God are your companions. They'll never leave you. And they'll never fail. They'll never fail. They'll never fail. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's reserved in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Come on, begin to rejoice in the mysteries right now. Just begin to rejoice. Just begin to rejoice. Just begin to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I declare that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. I don't care if it looks like defeat. You cannot be defeated. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You cannot be moved out of your place. You will never come down again. You will never come down again. God is setting you on high because you have known his name. And you will never come down from that high place again. You will never come down from it. You will never depart from it. You will never depart from it. I declare it in Jesus' name. You are ambassadors of the King of Kings. You are ambassadors of the gospel. You have been set apart for the gospel. You have been set apart. The gospel owns you. You have been redeemed, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Mm. Hallelujah. I just sense that the heavens have opened, and God is just raining down mysteries. He's just raining down the mysteries. He's revealing them. They're going to begin to explode in your heart. In the middle of the night, God's going to wake you up. I found myself on the plane coming home from Korea, and the mystery of the indwelling of God just exploded in my spirit. I was weeping. I had my hands raised. God just took me deep into that mystery. I tell you, I'm going to steward it into the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let it go again. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to let it go. And I just release that mystery into your life. By inheritance, I say it's yours. Because whatever God has revealed to me, it belongs to you by inheritance. Just lay hold of it. Lay hold of that inheritance. Lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. You've got to fight for your inheritance. One thing you find is that what belongs to you, you've got to fight for it. The devil is fighting you, and the only weapon he has is unbelief. You're going to fight the good fight of faith. You're going to reject the power of unbelief, and you're going to embrace your inheritance. You're going to lay claim to your inheritance. You're going to hold on to it. You'll never let it go. It's yours. Hallelujah. You believe that today? Give God a shout of praise. You're strong today. You're strong today. You know what I see? I see an army of stewards. I see a great gathering of stewards. You're stewards. That's what you are. And God has found you faithful today. You know why he's found you faithful? Because you believed. You heard the word that I gave you today and you believed it. And because you believed it, it sealed the deal. And you are now stewards of the mysteries of the kingdom. 
They'll never depart from you. You'll never depart from them. God set you on high today, and you'll never come down again. Hallelujah. God bless you. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just a reminder, the Foundations course...